at some of those early verses in the Gospel of Luke. And uh, I want to be able to take you today on a journey to Israel. I want you to be able to see some things. And some of you know that, uh, that on January 4th, uh, there's going to be a good group of us taking off. Uh, and we're going to fly through Germany over to Tel Aviv. And we're going to look at some of these sites. And I do hope that we'll be able to look at the city of Nazareth. And that's where we'll be looking today. If you'll turn in your Bibles to chapter 1, uh, you'll be seeing that on page 100, or excuse me, 1,088, 1,088 in your pew Bibles. You'll be able to look at verse 26. Uh, we're going to be looking at a, quite a few verses, but let's look at verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, uh, this is the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of God as it was given in the originals. I'll be reading from the ESV. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed, to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Verse 29, But she was greatly troubled at that saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give him of uh, the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? Verse 35, the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we ask that you will take this familiar story, and I pray that you might lift up our hearts, that you might work faith inside of us. I pray that we might apprehend the living and true God this morning. I pray that we might be amazed at what took place in Nazareth. And I pray that we might be moved to be like Mary, that your will will be done in us as it was in her. In Jesus' name, amen. It's kind of an interesting text. We want to begin in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, that is an interesting kind of place to begin. And that's why the, the title of the message is From Heaven to Nazareth. It's taken right out of this verse 26. If you're looking quickly in that verse, you're going to be able to see from God, and then it's to a particular place, to the city of Galilee named 
Nazareth. So I was going to begin, O little town of Nazareth, how still we see thee lie. You're going to say, oh, pastor, you messed that up, didn't you? Most of you know that the lyrics are supposed to include the little town of Bethlehem. But I want you to know that we are a pro-life church uh, because we believe that life begins not at your first breath, but at conception. And so I want you to take notice that something happened in Nazareth. And you'll figure that out before the rest of the story is told. Now, as we begin, as we're walking through this, I want you to be able to realize that this is about a journey, an unexpected journey. The title comes, of course, from J.R. Tolkien's uh, Hobbit movie. I don't know if you've gotten into it like our family has, but when we look at, at that unexpected journey, it's about how this little character ends up being caught into a huge story, bigger than life story. Between good and evil. And it's a fascinating story to look at the Hobbit. But I want you to be caught up into the stories that God provides with us. We have five narratives. Today we're looking at the narrative through the angelic perspective. And as we look at this particular text, I want you to know that it's important. Up to this point in time, to give you a context... There have been not 100, not 200, not 300, but four centuries of silence. Just to give you four seconds is tough. But 400 years that God has not been sending new prophets. He has not been giving them additional scriptures. He has not been lightening their load. He has not been making life easy. It feels like life has just been going on and on and on. And when we open up the book of, chapter, of Luke, we're going to find that one of the opening scenes is down in Jerusalem. And the people are going to church like they've always gone to church. And they're offering prayers like they've always been offering prayers. But something's different. Something's going to happen that changes everything. The 400 years of silence is now going to stop. There is going to be a spokesperson. There is going to be a yelling forth of something new. Good news. Good news is on the horizon and we all need good news. So as I want to unpack this for you, basically the first point is all about preparations. The second point is all about, uh, shall I say, presentations or I like to say productions. Okay, so the first point about presentations is really... I mean, about preparations. Things have to be prepared. You just can't show up here and it just happens. God is setting things in motion. Better than an engineer would do. You put this and then this and then this and then this. And God has already laid it out for us. He's already given us the Old Testament. And now after 400 years, God is saying the alarm clock has gone off. Now it's time to put to practice what I've been planning for a long time. So if you're following along with me, our initial point is to look at at this journey from heaven to earth. It was an angelic journey. And it's pretty interesting that here is a being that is in the presence of God who has access to the throne room. If you want to read about the throne, read about it in Revelation chapter 4. It's a place that would scare the rest of us. Wow. That the God who made the universe has a dwelling, has a, has a throne room, and this, this angel in particular, Gabriel, has access. 
from heaven. He is sent down here. He's not beamed down like the Star Trek movies. He makes the journey. We really don't know how angels travel from heaven to earth, from the spiritual realm to the physical realm. But they made this journey, he did, to the area of Galilee. So if you have a map in front of, behind me, I want you to be able to take notice of this particular little town called Nazareth. It is, uh, if you're looking up there, you'll be able to see that, it, that you can see the Mediterranean Sea off to the left. And from the Mediterranean Sea, you can recognize, uh, to the right, you can find the next body of water, which is the Sea of Galilee, and follow the little string down all the way down to the other body of water, and that is the Dead Sea. When you go looking into the Dead Sea, you're going to find uh, the, the perspectives. You, be, you begin to get your bearings straight. Now, this particular little map is hand-drawn. It's, not a, it's, it's just a simple map. But they have carved out for here the West Bank and, of course, the, the Jordan River. And on this side, the country of Jordan. And you can even see Syria, which is further to the north here, and Lebanon over here. So this is more of a modern map to give you a dose a dose of where we're looking at. If you were going to be looking for the little town of Bethlehem, it's going to be right down here below Jerusalem. But we're going to go north of Jerusalem through Samaria all the way up to this Galilee area to this town called Nazareth. Now, if you bring up the next picture, you're going to be able to see that Nazareth, Nazareth is in the hill countries. If you look around here, you can barely see it, but there's a tiny little mountain, little hill slopes and Nazareth is, is nestled right up there towards the hilltops. It's not super high, but it is higher. And from that, you can, ha- you can have a pretty good vista down the hillside and over the countryside. But if you look closer, you can also see this is where Elijah prayed, Ma- Mount Carmel. It's not too far across. And also the Sea of Galilee, which is where you have Capernaum. And this is where the, 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 uh, um, the Sermon on the Mount was given. And, uh, and then the Jordan River down a little further, which is where Jesus ended up being ordained as, as a priest uh, in, in Matthew chapter 4. But I wanted to take you to Nazareth. I want you to know that that is the first place mentioned in the New Testament. Wow. You might be able to argue that Jerusalem was where the temple. But the little town of Nazareth is where God wanted to send his special messenger, Gabriel. Of the three archangels, you have Lucifer, Gabriel, and Michael. And Gabriel is one, personally, that is commissioned by God himself to go to this little town in Galilee, this little town called Nazareth. Now, if I was God, I probably would have picked a better place. Wouldn't you have? I mean, think about it for a moment. What's in Nazareth? In fact, if you go to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, you're going to find that that's some of the things when Jesus was older. And they said, what good can come out of Nazareth? You see, it was almost like it was disdained. It was something that people never looked uh, with, with elegance and with pride. That was not the cool place to be from. So as you think about Nazareth, it's just a simple little place. But it is there that God was going to make the preparations. First, you have this angel making the journey from heaven to Nazareth, coming in. And and when he comes to Nazareth, what does he look for? Does he look for the local pub? He comes in for a drink, right? He wants to associate with the crowd, trying to get to know everybody, trying to blend in, right? No, he's looking for a girl, but not for himself. 
it's, it's very similar to the story when Abraham sent out Eliezer in Genesis chapter 24. He's looking for a virgin, somebody with pure values and morals. He's looking for a particular person. How does he know who to go to? Because God himself knew Mary by name. He knew where Mary lived. He knew when Mary was conceived. He knew that Mary was now a teenager. She was ready to be betrothed to this other fellow named Joseph, a carpenter. God knew all these details in her life. And he sends this special messenger to this virgin, verse 27, with a message. Verse 30. If you have your Bibles there, take a look at verse 30. And the angel said unto her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. That's good news. You have found favor with God. This is good news, Mary. Don't be afraid. For behold, verse 31, you're going to have a baby. You're going to have a son. And you're going to give his name, just like Rosie told us, you're going to name him Jesus. He's going to be Yeshua, the Savior. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And this is kind of interesting because he's talking about her being a mom. Now he's talking about who's going to be the dad. The Son of the Most High. And the Lord God is going to give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Now just as I'm talking about this. Yes, we know how amazing it is to leave heaven to come to earth. But then to get to Nazareth, and what are you looking for? You're just looking for this little girl. She might have been only 13 years of age. I always pictured her being 16. The Bible doesn't exactly tell us the details of her age, but she was ready to be betrothed. She was ready to be married. In that culture, it was very earlier on. They didn't have all the government programs and there wasn't a whole lot of incentives, you know. So she was, all of it was working out well to create great family dynamics to have a household. But he finds this girl. He knows her by name. And, and shall I say, her Christian conduct. It's really fascinating to see how God's agenda is now being played out from heaven to earth. Now, inside of this message, the preparations are going on because Mary needed to know what was going to happen to her because it would have really been bad if she showed up pregnant and she didn't even understand how or why herself. So I'm telling you that God sent this messenger to prepare Mary. And this is not to be taken off guard. If you have the bulletin card in front of you that has all those pictures on it, you, uh, all the different colors of the candles on it, you're going to see in 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, verses 19 through 20, it highlights that this was not a surprise uh, to God. It was a surprise to mankind, and it definitely was a surprise to Mary. But if you look in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verses 19 through 20, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that a lamb without blemish or spot, verse 20, for Jesus was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest, or he was revealed in these last times. He was revealed in this present tense for your sake who through him are believers in God, who then would raise him up from the dead and give him glory so that your faith and hope would be in God. The whole idea of this being a surprise to God, wrong. It was only a surprise to mankind. 
So Mary is the one that is now being introduced to the good news that unto her a Savior would be put inside. Wow. Do you understand why the need for preparation? And the angel, the very spokesman for God, ends up and gives this message directly to her. There's no, no, nothing lost in translation. She fully grasps and comprehends. How do I know this? It's because look at the question she asked. If you have your Bibles, you can see she asked that interesting, simple little question in verse 34. And Mary said, how can this be? I'm not, I've not been with a man. I have had sexual integrity all my life. How can this be? That's when the angel Gabriel gives her an explanation that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, the power of the Most High God is going to overshadow you, and that which is that child that will be born will be called the Son of God. What preparation was necessary? Now, if you listen to the rest of the story, there was a little bit more preparation that she needed. Because I don't know if you would have grasped it. Let me see if I just came and picked a girl out of, you know, if I was to go over to Melissa and show up in bright shining armor as an angel and say, Melissa, you're going to have a baby. You know, what would you expect her to do? You know, like Sarah laughed when she heard that she was going to have a baby. You know, that might have been the necessary... I mean, that's back in the Old Testament in, in Genesis chapter 12. But the idea that you're going to be the one that's going to have God the Son. So there's a little bit more preparation given. And if you listen to the angelic messenger, he says, Oh, by the way, you have a relative and she's pregnant too. She's going to have another boy. And, and he gets so specific, he says, she's already six months pregnant. She's already passed the second trimester. And it's really kind of interesting when you start to digest all of this. And, and the way that it's presented to Mary is, she's not young like you. She's what? She's old. She's already been barren all of her life. Everybody knows she's not going to have kids. And so the angel Gabriel says, you go check it out. She's six months pregnant. What do you think Mary did next? <laughs> she, let's look at the text. You're going to find that this girl was fascinated by it because she ends up getting up and taking this journey. If you look in verse, um, um, in verse 20, uh, 26, um, actually when you finish up in verse 39. Um, and those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah, and she in, entered into the house of Zechariah, and she greeted who? The other pregnant girl. Do you see? Mary needed a little bit more preparation, because if you go back to the particular text, uh, verse 36, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, she also has conceived a son. She's in the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing, nothing, is impossible with God. Mary needed to know this, and she was given more preparation that nothing's impossible with God. Do you believe that? I'm not... I mean, I know Mary believed it, but I think she needed this extra encouragement. She needed to know that what God had called her to do was not just a figment of her imagination. And so it's kind of interesting how you can see how this, how this unfolds. Now, how did Elizabeth end up pregnant? 
Well, let me back you up a few more verses. If you'll go back in your text, you're still at the same passage. Uh, go to verse, uh, right at the beginning of the chapter in verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God. They walked blamelessly in all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and she was now advanced in years. And while he was serving as the priest before God, when his division was on duty, this is down in Jerusalem, according to the customs of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot or by chance. He drew the lot and he was supposed to go down there and to burn the incense, which is a symbolic for praying. You go in there and as the incense goes up, just like the candle goes up, when I blow that out, you'll see a little bit of a puff of smoke. That's the illustration of praying. So it was his time to go in and to pray. The hour of incense, verse 11. And there appeared to him while he was there in the temple, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. So he's praying to God and there appears this angel. Zechariah was troubled. You know, why wouldn't, why would he be troubled? He's never seen an angel before. He wasn't so cute as this cuddly thing. He's looking at this angel. He's troubled. And the angels in verse 13 says to him, don't be afraid. He knows him by name, calls him Zachariah. He says, your prayer has been heard. In other words, God answered your prayer. Now, I don't know if you've thought about this before, but what does this imply about Zachariah? If God answered a prayer, what does that, how can, what can you conclude? He was a praying man, not a praying mantis. He was a praying man, and he prayed for something that God answers. And what did he pray for? He had been praying for a son. Isn't it interesting how God's sovereign plan is working together with Zechariah's own personal desire to be a dad? And even though he's aged in years, even though he's been a faithful priest, even though he tried to do the things that God set out for him to do, he still longed for something more. Isn't it fascinating that in his prayers for a son, God gives him the New Testament Elijah. For unto him was born John the baptizer, the one who Malachi, 400 years earlier, had had said, if you read the last chapter of of Malachi, there's going to come one in the spirit of Elijah, and he's going to prepare the way of the Lord, and he's going to turn the hearts of fathers to the children, and the hearts of children to their dads. And and Zechariah's the one. And he goes up there, and he ministers, and and because of his lack of faith, because of his struggle of faith, the messenger said, you're going to stay silent for a little longer. I just wanted to know this little caveat more. There's been 400 years of silence. Gabriel comes and meets with Zechariah, and he basically says, Zechariah, shut up until five months pass. And so he takes from him the ability to speak, and, and Zechariah can't even talk about it. Until when? What happened about five months later or about six months later? Gabriel comes back. And when Gabriel comes back, Gabriel is announcing what's taking place from heaven to earth. It's been the messenger preparing everything. But now the presentation. In six months, at the time that Zechariah has been quiet all along, they, they just, uh, he's been very quiet. Now a Gabriel shows up again. Actually, Gabriel doesn't show up on this journey from heaven to earth. Gabriel's already made two trips. 
Who makes the third trip? The Holy Spirit. It's a little hard to say that the Holy Spirit journeys because we believe that he's everywhere present, um, omnipresent. But the idea that the Holy Spirit was going to come upon Mary that was six months after Elizabeth had conceived. And so you have at this moment in time, in the fullness of time, Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, God sent forth his son in the woman, made of a woman, Galatians 4, 4. I mean, when you think about that, this is the perfect timing. The silence still hasn't been broken. And so now... We know that the angel Gabriel comes to Mary and prepares her because that's the same, I believe, the same day, the same night, the same time period where she is conceived. The power of the Most High comes upon her. The Holy Spirit overcomes, overwhelms her and she is given a baby who is the Son of God. And immediately after this, Mary, who is pregnant now, gets up and she makes haste to go down to, Ju- to Judah and she finds this little town and she looks for this gal who's six months pregnant who is named Elizabeth. Everybody's still pretty quiet. Everybody's real quiet. She comes in to see Elizabeth, and she makes haste because she's like, is this really happening? You know, obviously Mary knows she's pregnant. And Mary knows that the angel said that Elizabeth is pregnant. So she's going and collecting all the facts and the data, and she comes together. And if you look at that passage, when she comes in, verse 39... In those days, Mary arose and went to the hill country. She entered into the house and she greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, what happens? You have the first jumping for joy. It's the Toyota commercial. You have this this excitement that takes place as the Holy Spirit comes over top of Elizabeth. And what does Elizabeth do? When the baby leaped in her womb, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she did what? She made some noise. She made some noise. The silence of 400 years is ended. Wow. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. She makes a loud cry. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why why is this granted to me that the mother of the Lord should visit me? Verse 44. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believes that there would be a fulfillment of that which was spoken to her from the Lord. And that's when Mary breaks into song two. I told you, you have the preparations and the production as the Holy Spirit makes this journey and brings Jesus into flesh. If you look at Philippians chapter two, it's pretty fascinating to be born of a virgin The passage actually says from verse 4, let each of you look not only on his own, but on the interests of others. And he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to uh, to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. I just have to stop there for a moment. This is the first words that broke the silence. When the word became flesh to dwell among us. Elizabeth was the first to apprehend it. And Mary responds, having had that preparation uh, 
confirmed in her soul, she speaks out that wonderful magnificence. My soul magnifies the Lord. I wrap up by asking a few postmodern questions. Number one, how does, how does it make you feel to have to wait 400 years? I mean, if we have a God that, that is that slow, just think about that for a moment. When I pose the question to you, you're like, oh, you can't say that about God. But most of us struggle with the idea of God waiting 40 minutes. I want to challenge you to seek God's timing. Uh, do you know Romans 8, 28? For we know that all things work together for the good to them who are the called according to his purpose. In other words, there's not a maverick molecule, as R.C. Sproul would say. Everything fits into God's tapestry. Do you really believe it? Can you wait on the Lord? The second question, how does someone respond to an archangel? If God showed up and sent Gabriel to you, what would you do? Get a new supply of Depends or something. You know, what would happen (laughs) to see the archangel before you with a message naming you by name? That the God of the universe is paying attention to you and that you matter. Even though you're a little teenager, you're a little nobody from a little town of Nazareth. God is taking interest in you. How would you respond? Would you just picture a cute little Cupid angel? Or maybe some of us would go back to that movie, It's a Wonderful Life, with Clarence. You know, Clarence that couldn't get his wings. That's not the angel that showed up in front of Mary. What would you do in response? Third question, postmodern question. How does God have the right to favor somebody? Is God free to do this? I mean, obviously, he picked a girl. Wasn't that nice of him? It wasn't even because of affirmative action. He finds a girl, but I want to tell you why he had to choose a girl. Because she was supposed to be the mom. There was no confusion. There was nothing up for debate. He said, you're going to be the mother. The fruit of your womb. It's not sexist. It's not judgmental. He didn't do it to make other people feel bad. It's, some people might say, but isn't it cruel to impose your will upon somebody else? Shouldn't she be free to do whatever she wants to do? I mean, wouldn't you have given her that counsel today? If Mary came and said that God wanted you to to have a baby without a husband? Oh, no, you have choice. You can do whatever you want. If this bothers you or if this is pressure upon you, then, then just get rid of that baby. Do you understand how all of these things factor into a Christian world and life view? is that when you understand God, you understand how all these pieces fit together. And and when the world is pushing a different agenda, I want to be able to challenge them to a higher helicopter view. Life is oh so much beautiful when you realize that God wants you. He desires for you to have have purpose. Ephesians 2.10, for God, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to good works, which God has before ordained that we should be doing them. Some of you might say that it's unfair that Mary didn't get to live out her own plan. 
you know, she had planned to live up in Nazareth and just to live a quiet, peaceful life, right? But God messed with her. You see, when you start poking fun at, at the way that the world and especially the rising generation, the postmodern, those who are affected by postmodern thinking, think that they're in the place of God and God has no authority and right to interact. These questions, I, would, I just want to answer them a little bit better. It is awesome to be a chosen lady. It is awesome that God would find favor with someone. It reminds me a lot of the Genesis 6 passage when God actually found somebody in the pre-flood world. He had grace upon Noah. And it almost sounds like that's the case here when he chose this lovely lady who cherished sexual integrity, who was attentive to God, who was honoring God above her own agenda when she says, be it unto me, even as thou wilt. I know that's King James language. But she says, bring it on. She's excited about it. Secondly, was it judgmental? God's discernment was not simply picking a girl out of a police lineup. He just didn't just randomly say, well, oh, right there. It wasn't like looking for Waldo. Okay, when he is finding Mary, this girl has been uh, picked because she's in the lineage of, of King David. If you look at Luke, and he explains this a little bit further in the passage at the, uh, at the end of chapter, uh, I guess it's in chapter uh, 2, uh, you end up seeing the whole, uh, here it is in um, the prophecy for, is, is that he goes through and he lists all the parents that, that, uh, that Mary had. In fact, it goes back and in, in the gospel account in Matthew and the gospel account in Luke, one takes you all the way back to David, one takes you all the way back to Adam. I just want you to have an awareness that this girl was not just haphazardly popped out of nowhere. That this is grand design. And she had a great-great-great-grandmother named Ruth. She had a great-great-great-great-great-grandmother named uh, Rahab. She was in the lineage of Christ. And she's the one that gets to bring Christ into this world. I told you it's not judgmental and it's certainly not cruel and unfair. Is God free to call you into ministry? Is God free to come into your world and tell you to be a missionary? Is God free to ask you to do something that is going to rock your world? Maybe even to be a Sunday school teacher or a volunteer in our expanded nursery. Has God called you to be a greeter in the church? Has God called you to be a parent? Has God called you to be his ambassador in your neighborhood? In your community. Has he? Is that unfair? Some people feel it is. But it's not unfair when you take Proverbs 3, 6. When you acknowledge God in all your ways, trusting in him with all your heart, he will make your path clear. He will give you a calling. He will show you where you need to go. And that's exciting because when you look at the rest of the story about Nazareth, Jesus came from Nazareth And I was going to tell you all the 31 times in the New Testament that it's referenced. It's never referenced beautifully. But it is the place that Jesus was brought up. It's the place that Mary was the one that that was her home. God can use you to do great things. You may feel insignificant. You may feel like nobody cares about you. You may feel like you're just lost spinning through this world. I'm telling you that God is able to send a messenger and he might even be bald 
and he will come to you and tell you, this is what God is asking you to do. I pray that you'll have a sensitivity to the Spirit of God to do great things for him. Regardless of whether you're four or 94, that is the message of Nazareth. Dear Lord Jesus, as we ponder this message, as we take it home with us, I pray that we might be fascinated with the response that Mary had. You prepared her for a great work. And we get to see Mary later on. She's there at the crucifixion. She understood that this was the Son of God. Oh Lord, I pray that we might be a lot like Mary. That we would be willing to yield to whatever you bid us to do. And I pray that we might have eyes to see that you are the Christ. And I pray that our hope might be placed in you alone and not in another. Oh, Lord, I thank you that you've sent a messenger. You've sent somebody from heaven to earth in the angel. But we thank you that you sent your son. And I pray that we might love him all the more. If there's someone here, oh, Lord, that is understanding the gospel message, I pray that they might respond, that they might ask Christ to forgive their sins, And I pray that they might communicate that with the pastor or one of the elders before they leave today. Oh, Lord, I pray these things in Jesus' name.